KBCS Community Radio, this is Yuko Kadama. Now cool down with an informative trip at the tide pools of the Salish Sea, the Puget Sound. It's a weekend of low tides this weekend. I met up with naturalist Ed Dominguez for a socially distanced walk exploring the shallows of Meadowdale Beach Park on the low tide earlier this month. So here we are on a, it's a low tide today. Yeah, it's a minus 2.7 today, so almost three feet below the average tide. So what is a tide anyway? Well, tides are caused by the gravitational pull of the moon. The moon exerts quite a pull on the earth, and the earth is spinning on its axis, and the moon revolves around the earth. And so between the two of those, you get um, two different periods where uh, the moon's gravity is pulling the tides, and when it pulls them, it makes a high tide on two sides of the earth, and on the other two sides of the earth, it's a low tide. And since we go through that phase twice a day, you get two high tides and two low tides every day. And occasionally when the sun and the moon align together with the earth, it's even a greater pull, and you get some very strong tides. This is when we have either full moons or new moons, and the high tides are known as the spring tides, and the really low tides are known as the neap tides. And it's a great time to be on the beach because there's all kinds of cool intertidal marine life to see. Okay, cool. Well, what's going on out here? I see, I mean, we, I see like more kelp than usual, probably because this is usually submerged, right? Yep. So this greenish looking plant that's all over the beach is called sea lettuce. It's a type of kelp, a type of algae. Um, it's green because it photosynthesizes. It's in shallow enough water. It converts sunlight and uh, carbon dioxide into plant nu nutrition sugars. And it's actually edible. Uh, many countries uh, in the, the Southeast Asia use this as food. And um, many types of kelp, in fact, are, are quite nutritious and are used for food. So we've got sea lettuce and then um, just shortly, we're going to explore a very cool plant called eelgrass. Oh, cool. What's the brown stuff hanging off of the eel? Is this eelgrass? This is eelgrass. This is a very important uh, plant of the intertidal zone. It's actually a flowering plant, a land plant, that it's evolved to make its way back into the water but it has all the characteristics of terrestrial flowering plants. It has roots, it has leaves, it has flowers, and it has seeds. Eelgrass is really important because just like trees in a forest provide three different dimensions for life, the creatures that live in the trees, the creatures that live around the trees, and creatures that are on the ground at the base of the, the trees that use the tree for life. All kinds of creatures use the eelgrass, either by living in the eelgrass, such as nudibranchs, which are sea slugs and sea cucumbers, creatures that live all around the eelgrass and use it for protection, like crabs and shrimp, and creatures that live in the roots of the eelgrass, shellfish and tube worms and other uh, soft-bodied uh, isopods or segmented worms. So eelgrass is a great living area for all of these creatures, plus it really helps secure the sand of the beach and keep it anchored. So there is sedimentation with a lot of silt flowing in the water. It stays anchored. So very important plant. And as you go through eelgrass, 
you can find all kinds of creatures. So in areas where um, eelgrass has been lost. What, what causes a, an eelgrass bed die-off? You can have ocean acidification, you can have sedimentation, like if you have logging, lots of runoff from streams that filters the water. If there's a lot of silt and, and um, debris coming off from runoff from creeks and streams into the water, the, the plant can't photosynthesize. It needs to have clear water. Also pollutants, you know, they're very sensitive to pollution. So if you have some factory that's emptying effluent into, the, into an estuary or a, a, a coastal area, you can kill off the, the eelgrass that way. Hmm. It's almost always human-induced reasons why the eelgrass has died back. In Sweden, they're cultivating eelgrass. They're growing it as a crop. In, in nurseries and then replanting it in the areas, particularly on the west coast of Sweden where they've had a lot of eelgrass die-offs, replanting it to reestablish a stable environment in the intertidal zones. What about these, oh. um, these brown kind of fuzzy things on these, on these leaves? Well, you get what are different those? kinds of algae and plankton that attach to the eelgrass itself. It's, again, it's like a tree in the forest. On trees you get lichens and algae growing. Everything uses the trees either as a substrate or actually feeding on it for food. Same with this plant, the eelgrass. All kinds of creatures like to attach and grow on it, live down by the base of its roots, and use the eelgrass itself for protection and camouflage. Hmm. See if and I can... what do the flowers look like? They're very tall little flowers that are up near the top. And I'm going to try to see if there's any oh, seeds. That? Those are eelgrass seeds. Oh, cool. The seeds there. are on the leaf frond. They're like um, little green spore-looking things, like for on a fern, right? Yep, but these are real seeds. The plant's been pollinated and has fertile seeds, and the seeds will fall on the, the sandy bottom of the water mm -hmm. of the intertidal zone, and then you'll get more eelgrass. Smells like the sea. <laughs> what is that, um, you know, when people are like, oh, it smells like the sea, you know, yeah. what is that? Is it just salt <laughs> or is it decomposing matter that you're smelling too? Or what is that? A lot of time it's the algae and the kelp that are growing along the shore emit an odor. Um, most plants, whether they're uh, marine plants or marsh plants are very aromatic and it has to do with the exchange of gases, oxygen, because they're many, much of the time are submerged. Um, they're very aromatic, so there's, they emit a smell that mixes in with the smell of the salt water and you know other marine life, but it, it often has a distinct smell. Primarily it's the plants that are, that are creating that aroma. So this is, a, it's called a water jelly. Cute. Jellies, uh, remember they're not jellyfish because they're not fish. If you want to be accurate, just call them a jelly. Um, are very, very cool and very odd, frankly, uh, marine creatures that are, you know, like 99% water, but they have kind of a dome and then they have tentacles that hang off of the dome and the tentacles are barbed with stinging cells called nematocysts. And a nematocyst is like a little loaded, a spring-loaded barbule that when triggered shoots out and injects its victim with a, with a neurotoxin. 
that paralyzes it. So these little jellies aren't harmful to, to people, of course, but if you're a, a tiny bit of plankton floating around, um, you'll get stunned by the, the nematocysts as they, as they inject the, their, their toxin, and then the jelly uses the tentacles to scoop the food into its mouth. We have a, a larger jelly here that can give you a painful sting called a lion's mane jelly. And they're in this intertidal area as well, usually a little bit further out, but we may see one or two close into the shore. Um, they have a, a bell, which is the top of the jelly, can be six, seven, eight inches uh, in diameter and then can have quite long tentacles that hang off of it. They can actually get quite larger than that, but th that's the typical size for our jellies here. Have you ever been stung by uh, one of the, what, what did you say, the lion's? Lion's mane? No, I haven't, no. I see them, but I don't reach and touch the tentacles because I don't want to get a painful sting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I keep hearing about like the Portuguese man-o-war. Right, that's a, that's a type of jelly that has a very powerful sting. And um, there's a jelly off the coast of Australia called the box jelly that can has been at times fatal stings to humans. But they're not around here, so we don't have to worry about those. So here we are, like, uh, under an old dock, right? I'm assuming this is not used anymore. What is this crazy thing that's just stuck to the side? That's a sea anemone. Mm -hmm. Sea anemones are in the same uh, group of animals as jellies that we talked about. Um, they're called nadarians, and nadarians all have stinging cells, nematocysts. Sea anemones have them just like jellies do, and they have them in tentacles. The sea anemone anchors itself to a piling or a rock or the bottom of the, the intertidal zone and they extend their tentacles around the central mouth and when small fish or crustaceans swim they touch the tentacles and the stinging nematocysts shoot out and apply a neurotoxin which stuns the, the creature and then the tentacles sweep it into the mouth. Now this one here has the tentacles extended because it's still under oh, the water. Wow. Yeah. So if you want to touch under. it, it won't sting you, but it'll feel sticky. The nematocysts are actually stinging you, but they don't hurt us. But that's what gives it that sticky feeling. That is <laughs> wild. Yeah. You don't expect it to feel so dry. Yep, that's the nematocysts. And then it's got a central mouth and it sweeps in its prey and puts it in the mouth, digests it, and then spits out what it what it couldn't uh, metabolize. And then right above it, this is a sea star. And again, like we don't call jellies jellyfish because they aren't fish. We don't call them starfish because they're not really fish. It's a sea star. This one is called an ochre star. It's got five arms, one, two, three, four, five, a very rough scaly back. And on the undersides of the arms are thousands of little feet that have suction cups on them. So the sea star can be on this piling like it is now and waves can batter it, but it won't come off. It's secured tightly. But when it releases those suctions on the feet, it can come off and move about. And sea stars are, are quite good predators. Um, they will get other shellfish and that those suctions, they can pry them open and they've got a central mouth where they can eat and digest their prey. 
ochre stars come in a lot of different colors, orange, reddish, purple, like this one, and they're just big and beautiful. Do they move very fast? I always see them just clinging onto stuff. Yeah, they can move around pretty readily. Oh, I see we got a few more over here. That's got two and an anemone. Oh, wow. So the sea anemones, they only come out um, when... When they're under the water. When they're under the when water. They, when they're above the tide, they close up because they to stay keep their moisture inside. And also there's no reason to feed because they only feed on creatures that are in the water. So as soon as the tide comes up and covers them, they'll expand and they get their name because they kind of resemble the land flower, the anemone, with all the tentacles. That was naturalist Ed Dominguez with me during the last low tide earlier this month at Meadowdale Beach Park's tide pools in Edmonds. Really low tides are coming up for tomorrow, Sunday, and Monday. You can visit our website at kbcs.fm for a link to the tide schedule.